Good morning. If you invite you to take a Bible and open to the book of Second Peter. You might never have been in Second Peter before, so I'll give you a few minutes to find it. In the New Testament. So if you noticed the graphic, then you know we're starting a new series today entitled Heavenly Minded, Looking at Things Unseen. Just think about that phrase for a minute, heavenly minded. What do you think of when you hear those words? If a person is heavenly minded, what are they like? Is being heavenly minded a good thing or a not so good? These are rhetorical questions. You can just <laughs> think about them. Is it possible, don't answer this one out loud, is it possible to be too heavenly minded? I remember being told that heavenly minded people uh, were sort of detached from reality, kind of going through life with their head in the clouds, oblivious to the real significant needs and problems right in front of their faces. They just don't even see it. It's like heavenly minded people are just sort of killing time, waiting for when they finally get to escape this world and go and experience the joys of heaven. Now, I've come to believe that that opinion about heavenly-mindedness is actually not true. That those who would call themselves Christians but not care about people and problems right in front of them are actually not too heavenly-minded. They're not heavenly-minded enough. And if that sounds weird and counterintuitive, and all of you who nodded your heads a minute ago, it might be true, uh, well, I invite you to stay tuned as we go through this new series. Over the next several weeks, I want to explore with you what God's Word teaches about the ultimate future of those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith and how thinking about that future ought to be a very good and helpful thing, very positive. That should have a positive influence on how we're living right now. I recently read a quote that that hit home with me, uh, made me want to teach on this topic again. Uh, It's a quote from John Piper. I get some daily devotional emails, and uh, this was one of them. This quote was in there. Um, He he did a series of messages entitled, What Happens When You Die? Uh, And I'm indebted to him for some of the insights we're going to be looking at over the next uh, several weeks through our series. But here's the quote. It's going to be up on the screen, I think. The problem with the church today is not that there are too many people 
who are passionately in love with heaven. The problem is not that professing Christians are retreating from the world, spending half their days reading Scripture and the other half singing about their pleasures in God, all the while being indifferent to the needs of the world. That is not happening. The problem is that professing Christians are spending 10 minutes reading the Scripture and then half their day making money and the other half loving and repairing what they spend it on. It's not heavenly mindedness that hinders love for the lost and hurting of this world. It is worldly mindedness that hinders love even when it is disguised by a religious routine on the weekend. Where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and sojourner on the earth? Where is the person who has so tasted the beauty of the age to come that the diamonds of this world look like marbles from the dollar store? And the entertainment of the world feels empty. And the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view to eternity. Only one thing satisfies the heart whose treasure is in heaven, doing the works of heaven. And heaven is a world of love. I say it again with all the conviction that lies within me. It is not heavenly mindedness that hinders love on the earth. It is worldly mindedness. Well, if he's right, then it will be a good thing and a necessary thing for us to learn how to be more heavenly minded. And that's why we're doing this series. It's actually kind of a strange thing that many people who claim to believe the Bible don't actually know what the Bible teaches about eternity And when they do think about eternity, they think things about it that aren't really true. For example, if you ask many Christians what their eternal destination is, where they're ultimately going, most of them will say heaven. Strictly speaking, that's not true. And if you ask them what heaven is like, they will say something like, Well, I'm not sure. Maybe say something about clouds or harps. Uh, Or they might say it's a spiritual place and it's unlike anything we can imagine. And that's not really true either. And if you ask them what they're going to do when they get there, many of them would say, we're going to worship God forever. And if you ask them, well, what do you mean by that? What they usually mean is some kind of eternal church service where we're just going to stand around and sing one song after another. That is also not true. And not only are ideas like that not true, they can actually keep us from looking forward to our actual eternal destination. Uh, Author John Eldritch points this out. He's got a quote here. Let me share it with you. He says, Nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service 
We have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And to be honest, our heart kind of sinks. Singing forever and ever? That's it? That's the good news? Then we sigh and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. We lose heart and, this is the key line, we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. I love to sing. I love to sing to the Lord. I love to sing with his people. And I'm quite confident that in eternity we will sing better and longer than we have. But to think that's all we're going to do represents a serious misunderstanding. And so it's possible, you know, if you are really honest, it's very possible that you're far more interested in where you are right now in this life than you are in where you're going. And that could well be that you maybe just don't know that much about where you're going or that what you think you know is actually not correct. So if you think that taking a trip to Hawaii or to Disneyland, or to the Super Bowl, or insert location of your choice, if you think that that would be way more exciting than going to the eternal destination God has promised his people, well, I hope this series will begin to change how you think about that. That you will come to see that if you are a believer in Jesus, What you have to look forward to is really something to look forward to. And we can see this in our passage for today. So if you found 2 Peter, we're going to look in chapter 3 at verses 13 and 14. Let me just sort of set some context here. So this was written by the Apostle Peter. It's a letter that he wrote to some people who would be just a lot like us. And he's encouraging them to faithfully live out their relationship with the Lord Jesus. A faith relationship. He's live that out. And in particular, this letter of 2 Peter, he emphasizes how vital it is that in order to live that way, we need to rely firmly on the Word of God, what God has taught us in His Word. And and one of the key issues that he wants to be confident, we know what God has said on this and we're not being misled by false ideas. One of those issues is about our eternal destination. And that's what we see here in these verses. So, verse 13 But in keeping with his promise, the Lord's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Okay, so... Peter here is referring to this promise of a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. So he's talking about our ultimate future 
if we are believers in Jesus. Now, why does he bring it up? Why does he mention it? What's he after here? He brings it up because he wants it to be something that we think about. And we think about it in such a way that it makes a difference in how we live right now. So, notice in both verses 13 and 14, he talks about looking forward to something. Right? Some of you may have a translation that's got the word waiting. I don't think that quite captures it. Because you can wait for something without particularly looking forward to it. Okay, have you ever sat in a waiting room? What kinds of places usually have waiting rooms? Doctor's office, dentist's office, the DMV. (laughs) Did you enjoy sitting in the waiting room? No, probably not. Wasn't like the highlight of your life. Uh, So this is different. The word that's translated looking forward or waiting or anticipating here, this is a word of expecting something good. Uh, Several times it's used of the Jewish people expecting God to fulfill his promise to send Messiah to deliver them. So here's an example. This is Acts chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. So the apostles... Peter and John, are they're going up and going into the temple there in Jerusalem. And as they're going in one of the entrances, they encounter a, a man who's crippled, and he's begging. That's, that's his livelihood. That's how he survives. And notice what happens here. It says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention expecting, now that's the word, expecting to get something from them. What's he doing? He's looking forward to getting some money. That's what he's doing. That's that idea. He's expecting, he's anticipating their gift. Well, that's the kind of waiting that Peter is talking about here. It's an expectation of something you actually want. Something you're looking forward to. Something you're anticipating. Okay, well, what does he say we're we're to be anticipating? He tells us, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what we're supposed to be looking forward to. Anticipating this place where we are going if we belong to Jesus. So now, let me just ask you, does it make a difference? Does it make a difference when you're eagerly looking forward to something? Let's say, for example, you've got a vacation planned, and you're planning to go to some place that you really want to go to, and you're going to go with people that you really love and want to be with. Okay, when you're looking forward to that, does that looking forward make any kind of difference in your attitude? Does it make any kind of difference in your Of course it does. You know, in fact, it's looking forward to stuff like that that sometimes just enables us to endure more joyfully stuff in the present that's maybe not that great. So maybe you're, you know, things aren't going that great at work or wherever, and it's just like, 
okay, I can do this because in two weeks I am out of here and I'm going there and I'm going to be with those people and it's going to be great. Or does it make a difference in your actions? Yeah, you better pack. You, you better do what you need to do to be ready to go. So see, it makes a very, very practical difference when you're actually looking forward to something. We see the same thing here. So verse 14, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. At peace, this living in relationship with Him in obedience. Do you see the connection there? Do you see it? Because you're looking forward to this, because you're looking forward to this new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells, make every effort. Make every effort. Work hard. Work at it to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. That is why I don't think it really makes sense to say if you're too heavenly minded, you won't be any earthly good. Now, it's possible if you define heavenly mindedness in a way that's not really what this is talking about, just sort of, you know, I I don't know what it is exactly, but it's a counterfeit of what this is. Because anything that disconnects people from living the way Jesus wants us to live is not true heavenly mindedness. That's not what we see here. If we're going to live the way Jesus wants us to live, we actually need to get more excited about where we're going. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, that's what the whole series is all about. So, see you next week. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to give you a short answer right now. Short answer. To look forward to our eternal destination... There's two things we need to do. The first is we need to reject our false ideas about eternity. We need to identify those areas where our thinking does not match what the Bible teaches, and we need to dispel those false ideas. (laughs) Now, if you've ever watched anything out of Hollywood, movie, show, whatever, that tries to depict where people go after they die, you have certainly been exposed to some false ideas about eternity. One of the most common is what one writer calls fluffy cloud heaven. Here's his description. Heaven takes place in the clouds, which are solid enough to walk on. Humans become angels when they die. They are given wings, a long white robe, a harp, and a holy halo that floats over their heads. Other than that, it's not exactly clear what people do. If God exists in fluffy cloud heaven, he's a giant white-haired bearded man wandering around or sitting on a huge white marble throne. There's often a line in front of the pearly gates of people waiting to get in with an angel based on St. Peter who who acts as a bouncer. (laughs) 
He'll read his book about all the naughty and nice things. Sounds like Santa Claus. All the naughty and nice things someone has done. And then he'll either let them in or he'll send them to hell via a trap door. There's virtually nothing biblical about that. Yet false ideas like that can get lodged in our imagination and then it influences our thinking about the future. And if you're not excited about that particular image, it's sort of understandable why. And, and this, these false ideas can plague even people who regularly read their Bibles. So Randy Alcorn, who's written a big book called Heaven, I highly recommend it. Uh, he's another of my key sources for this series. Randy, in his book, quotes, I find this hard to believe, but this is what he said. I've got to take him at his word. He quotes a Bible-believing pastor who said this. Quote, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. <clears throat> Randy asked him why. He said, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's also terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. What? Where? Where did a seminary-educated pastor get such crazy ideas about eternity? Not from the Bible. Not from the Bible. This man believes several unbiblical, but sadly popular, misunderstandings about eternity. Don't have time to deal with them all in detail now, but I'll mention them, give a quick response. And then as we go through the series, I hope these mistakes will become obvious, easy to spot. <clears throat> Here's one. Misunderstanding number one, believers will spend eternity in heaven. Actually, remember that Christians are looking forward to the new heaven and new earth. And in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John sees this vision of this new heaven and new earth. And he says that he sees the new Jerusalem, the city of God, coming down out of heaven from God. And then he says in verse 3, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. That's on the new earth. Now, it is true that Christians who die before this event, which hasn't happened yet, if we're a believer in Jesus and we die, we go to be with Christ right now in heaven. But that's not our ultimate destination. Our ultimate destination is the new earth. And that one fact, that one reality, has a lot of implications for what eternity is going to be like. Misunderstanding number two, eternity will be boring because we won't do anything except strum harps and sing. <laughs> Folks, that's not in the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, that's 
That's what Huckleberry Finn was taught by his guardian, the elderly religious Miss Watson. (laughs) Here's what Huck says about this. Quote, she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. (laughs) I was glad about that, because I wanted him and me to be together. Now here's what Randy Alcorn says about that quote. He says, what would have attracted Huck was a place where he would do meaningful and pleasurable things with enjoyable people. In fact, that's a far more accurate description of what heaven will actually be like. If Miss Watson had told Huck what the Bible says about living in a resurrected body and being with people we love on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers and mountains and untold adventures, that would have gotten his attention. One more, misunderstanding Number three, eternity will be only spiritual, not physical. So that confused pastor talked about floating around on clouds, and that's consistent with a false view of our eternal destination, that it's going to only be a spiritual place, not a physical place. And that's one reason why a lot of people don't look forward to it because we have no concept of what it would be like to be in a place that's only spiritual. We'll just be spiritual beings, not physical beings. We've been physical beings our whole life. So being spiritual beings, that's actually from Greek philosophy. That's not from the Bible. But look at Philippians 3.21. Here's a place you can see it. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. And what's His glorious body like? Luke 24. This is after Jesus' resurrection. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost, that is a spirit, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. His resurrected body is clearly a physical body. Now, transformed in ways we don't fully understand yet, but it's clearly physical. So those are just three popular misunderstandings. The point is, if we are going to actually look forward to our eternal destination, then these false ideas about it have got to go. We've got to root them out. And then the other thing to do is rejoice in God's true descriptions of eternity. In other words, read what the Bible says read what God has told us about our eternal destination and think about it and imagine it and get excited about it. 
Sometimes very well-meaning people, they will say we cannot possibly imagine what our eternal destination is like. And, uh, and sometimes to support that, they'll quote a verse that, uh, and you may have done this. If you did, if you, if you do it in front of me, I, I'm probably not going to be able to control myself. I'll probably say something. That, that verse that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him, that's not about heaven. It's not about heaven. Okay? If you wonder what it is about, go look it up and read the, the rest of the context there. But sometimes people use that and say, so that means we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Now, if by that they mean we can't possibly know all of the details, I totally agree. It's going to be far greater than anything we can imagine. But still, if we can't imagine it, we can't look forward to it. You can't anticipate what you can't imagine. And here's the thing, God has told us things about it so that we look forward to it. We have to be able to imagine it. We have to desire it. That's exactly his intention. So look at 1 Peter 1.13. So you know I'm not making this up. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, or when Jesus Christ is revealed. See what he's talking about? He's talking about that amazing future, this event, when Jesus comes as he promised and fulfills his promises for us. He comes, he returns for his people. And what does Peter say to do about that? In light of that reality, prepare your minds. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on that. That requires making the effort to think about it. We have to think about it. That kind of thinking doesn't just happen. And the reason it doesn't just happen is because we can't see it right now. Uh, that's what I mean, looking at things unseen. Why are they unseen? They're not, it's not because they're not real. It's because they're not yet. They're not yet within view. So we can't see them. We have to intentionally think about them. And that's what we're going to do. So here, in one sentence, this is the truth that I'm hoping, Lord willing, to unpack in the weeks to come. Here it is. Our eternal destination is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. And the better we understand that, the more excited we'll be about it. And the more excited we are about that, we connect that to how we live today. So that's, uh, that's a sentence, by the way, straight out of Randy Alcorn's book, but the truth it expresses is straight out of the Bible. And that's the truth I invite you to explore with me and ask God to teach us in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts and you know that uh, looking at things unseen is, is a challenge for us. 
especially when there's so much right in front of us that distracts us. And so, Lord, we're asking you to teach us to value your word, value what you've revealed to us about our ultimate destination if we're in Christ, because um, you mean for that to have a very powerful influence in how we live when times are hard, when times are good, that our, our hope would be fixed ultimately on Jesus' return and all that's going to happen then. So we ask for your guidance, and uh, we pray you would be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen.